and welcome to another episode of the MarkCast. I am Mark Jorgensen, and I am your host and creator of this podcast. Today we have an interesting episode. Um, I'm talking with an HR expert, someone who's been doing HR in D.C. mostly for about the past 10 years. If you're like me, or like a lot of people that I've known, you've at some point kind of wondered how the whole HR process works. And in this episode, we try to kind of take a look of the behind the scenes, like an HR person kind of speaks out kind of what they're seeing, um, you know, hiring and firing and all the different things that they do. Um, we discuss a lot of things that I find very interesting. Um, you know, are millennials really changing the workforce as much as we think they are? The last time you negotiated salary, did you start too high? Did you start too low? And a number of other topics that I think could be very practical and very useful. This is a little bit different of an episode. The first few episodes I did of the MarkCast were more talking about you know, someone that wrote a book or maybe their life story. And now this last episode was a bit on financial planning, and this one's a little about HR. And so this will be kind of like the more life lesson, practical sort of episodes we do. So if you like it, let me know. We'll do that. i got a lot more good episodes coming up in the next weeks, and so I'm happy to have everyone listening. Um, interestingly enough, we have people listening from all over the world to this show. I've checked the statistics now and it's really interesting. Um, Let's go right into Allison McKee. All right, so Allison, Allison McKee. So you've been doing HR for how long? Uh, Since 2005, so I'm coming up on my 10 year anniversary. Awesome. So where where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Buffalo, New York. Really? Mm -hmm. Buffalo, New York. I've not actually been there but I've been nearby to the Niagara Falls yeah well most people are like I've been to Palmyra and I've been to Niagara Falls I'm like yeah you've probably driven through Buffalo yeah I think we went like right by I don't know if we went in Buffalo but uh it's a nice place right Mm -hmm. yeah no it was a great place to grow up and it's nice to be able to go home like it's fairly close I can go home on a regular basis yeah, I'm a huge fan of Western New York. I think I've been there each summer, past couple summers. Okay, to, to Palmyra mostly, or where Well, else? I think we went to Niagara Falls, and then we went to, yeah, Palmyra, and then um, there's a couple other historical places we kind of, like in the Finger Lakes, okay. I think, and we just stopped on the way. Yeah, it's, it's nice, super green, and mm-hmm. people are like real relaxed. Mm-hmm. And it's like a little hidden treasure. <laughs> So you, uh, so you went, so you grew up in Buffalo, and then where did you go to school? I went to BYU. You went to BYU. Mm-hmm. How was that? How was your it, experience? It was good. Yeah, it was great. I was talking to my parents tonight, and we were talking about the BYU magazine, which I don't know if you went to BYU, but it's like the alumni magazine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, honestly, like, I like love my time at BYU, but like, I don't really care about the BYU <laughs> magazine. I don't know if you've had that experience, but... Um, but no, I mean, it was great. It definitely, like, fit my needs at the time, and I think I have very fond memories of my time at BYU, but I don't, like, wish myself back there or yeah. back in Provo in any way. Yeah, and I just had my 10-year anniversary of graduating, which makes me feel really old. So. <laughs> You're not old. <laughs> but still, I was like, oh my gosh. You studied, what'd you study? So I did um, marriage, family, human development, and okay. a minor in business. Really? Mm-hmm. So you were kind of thinking going more of like a therapy kind of route of... Yeah, so my of... plan, like I, I think it was between like my sophomore and my junior year, I thought I wanted to do marriage therapy. Mm-hmm. So I was already in the major, really loved my major, MFHD, and I did a class, I think my senior year, that was about 
essentially kind of like a pre-therapy class, like the steps to go to grad school and to go on. And that class like really kind of frightened me. And that was when I was like, mm, you know, I'm going to put my therapy plans on hold. And I was doing this business minor. So I was like, okay, maybe I need to look at things more from a business aspect, especially because I was also getting closer to graduation, thinking more about the fact I needed a salary. And I feel like a lot of jobs, obviously, in sort of the marriage, family, human services realm, do not pay the best. So Really? So kind of practicality kind of right. went out. Yeah. Like, see, what was it that freaked you out so much with the therapy? I'm just kind of... Well, it's funny it, because, right. yeah, my, my professor, who was a marriage and therapy professor, like one of the things he said is he said, therapists have a lot in common with like police officers. Like they see the really like ugly side of life. Oh. And I kind of always had this vision of like, you know, I'm going to be saving marriages and it's going to be like warm and really fuzzy. And so that, I was like, really? Um, and also the fact that I didn't realize until that point that, like, you went to grad school and then you had, like, two or three more years of doing, like, supervised internships before you even got licensed. So the process was, like, a five-year process mm, to actually yeah. get to the point where you would be doing therapy with someone. Yeah. So you kind of thought you'd be talking to this, like, really great, very self-aware couple. Right. You know, these right. real advanced, deep conversations. Right. That they would come back to me and be like, you made all the difference. Everything we needed was what you gave us. But instead it's, like, abuse and just, yeah. like, the more real just difficult, sad right. kind of... Well, and what we'll probably get into later is that, so, the therapy bug really didn't leave because I got, I finally got a master's in counseling while I was still working in HR. Oh, okay. And again, Good. had the actual practical experience of did, like, a year's worth of internships and kind of came to the same, like, conclusion. I mean, <laughs> that was a more positive experience and I really loved, like, studying it and learning about it. But still at the end, like, for me, therapy is also very nebulous like it's very there's a lot of ambiguity in it like you may be sitting across from somebody and really making a difference for them right. but there's not a lot of instant gratification in it and like for me HR has much more of kind of that instant gratification a lot more structure so it works a little bit better with my personality like you can see the person hired in two weeks right exactly or exactly right? <laughs> or there's like a work issue or a work conflict that I mean maybe it still takes us several months to work it out but it's much more a structured environment than in a therapy session where we're kind of talking it out they may or may not be making changes in their life at work if they don't make changes they're out of here so did your parents kind of help you like guide you in your choices or did you kind of just go this all yeah. on your own kind of you just figured it out or yeah I it... mean not really and yeah. I don't fault my parents because hi mom and dad I'm sure you're listening <laughs> but <laughs> um I think that's something that like no like I didn't really think about what I wanted to do like honestly it wasn't until like my last semester at BYU other than this very vague nebulous idea of being a therapist that I really got concrete about like what kind of job would I want after I graduate how am I going to make money like what am I going to do with my life? Because really up until that point, I just kind of thought through, honestly, like being 21. And then I don't know what happened, you know, what I didn't have any plans for life after that. You had a plan until 21, huh? Yeah. I think that's common. You know, people have their plans set to about this point, And then after that, they're like, what's going on? And I will also add, I think like the plan was like, oh, I'll get married at BYU. So dot, 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 I don't need a career oh, like path. A formal, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you wanted to have some kind of interaction with people. Mm -hmm. and you want to have the people aspect right. in whatever you did. And then you found that HR, you know, you still could have the people aspect, mm -hmm. but it was a lot more 
How, how did you, so how did the HR thing happen? Did yeah, you do like so, an internship at first? Yeah, or? so my last semester at BYU, I decided I wanted to do a business internship. So I actually started working or doing an internship for ADECO, which is a temporary agency. So I was in the office doing like interviewing temporary employees. Um, so I did that for my last semester at BYU. And then again, I was in this mindset of needing a job and they had an opening where I could continue to work for them. So I continued on and worked full time for them after I graduated. That only lasted a few months because at that point I was like, I don't love this and I think I want to do something different. Oh, it was your, you left by your choice. Right. Yeah. So at that point I thought to myself like staffing or sort of the temp world, there is a certain amount of stress in trying to match you know, the candidates that you're getting with the needs of the companies that are calling you. And it was also, you know, I was I was kind of like a temporary employee who worked for the temp agency. So I wasn't actually permanent. Like I was Okay. And then so you found that yeah. job, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I started looking and apply or uh, interviewed for a couple different places. I also at this point was was wanting to stay in Utah. I was living in Provo still. So I found a job with Phone Directories Company, which since has... Phone Directories? Yeah. Is that like a call center kind of thing? Well, it was back in the day when people actually used phone books. So they produced phone books. So they were in Orem on, I think it was on Center Street in Orem, just off of the I-15. So they had about a 500-person staff. About half of that was sales staff, both outside and inside sales, that would go sell advertising in these phone books. And then I was in the internal HR department, so I got hired as an HR assistant with them. So this is like what, like kind of mid two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five. Yeah. So it was like summer. It was like July two thousand five. So it was like the last gasp of the whole like phone right, book right advertising. Yeah, because I think yeah. within three years of after I like left there, they were no longer called phone book directories company or phone directories company. They got they, bought out for someone else. Yeah, and then they became like an online search, and then I think like a couple of years after that, they were done. So, okay, but that went pretty well for you then, yeah. right? I mean, you mm-hmm. had a good experience mm-hmm. there, and yeah. then, so, you so I was, worked your way up, I guess? Yeah, and, so I was there for a year, so I started as an HR assistant, and a couple of people left in the department, so by the time I left, I was doing, I was called the benefits specialist, was doing benefits and doing payroll for them, and then after about a year, I was done living in Provo and deciding I wanted to make the move so that's when I wanted to move back to the east coast to be closer to my family kind of settled on DC and then in 2006 made a move to DC again looked for an HR job and landed with um it was actually a school called Argosy University so that's where I started when I moved here to DC I've seen I know the name it's in Roslyn on Wilson so it's um mostly graduate education in psychology business and education so they had about like 1200 students and I think our staff was like about 60 cool so So. did you just apply to that job or do you know somebody there yeah so no this was like back again when the economy was really good like 2006 so I moved to DC without a job and I think I had applied for the job before I moved to DC, but I moved there. I like literally had like an interview like the day after, like the Monday after I had moved there, and wow. had a job offer that Friday. So it moved really quickly. Wow. Yeah. Everything was just fate, huh? It's true. <laughs> did you uh, did you have a little bit of trouble deciding between like New York and you know DC or like yeah. Philadelphia? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of cities out in the East Coast. Was there any? Like, what was it about DC? Right. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, like, when people say, like, why did you move here? It's like, I don't really have a cool story of, like, (laughs) oh, I felt like, no, 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 I know, but just, like, I feel like that's a common question. 
So I we actually had had a family friend that had moved to DC. Oh, so okay. I had like been in communication yeah. with her and just I don't know for whatever reason I had like a positive um, impression of the area. I'd come here when I was a teenager. And I kind of liked the idea that it was close to my family, but I didn't really think about moving back to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so you did that for a few years, and then um, I guess you've just kind of, since then you've kind of just mm-hmm, worked mm-hmm. through HR, and so you've seen a lot of HR experience. So I guess what are, kind of get into like more like what you do as an HR mm-hmm. person, like what are the common um, misconceptions that people have about HR, Yeah. at least that you have seen? Well, that's, I think, a good question, because I think HR is by nature, um, you kind of have to play both sides of the coin. So in HR, you are representing the company um, in terms of employee discipline, administering benefits, hiring and firing, like all that stuff. But then you also are there to to advocate for employees, to listen to employee complaints, to, you know, deal with employee issues. And so I think people are probably confused sometimes about what the role of HR is because it's like, well, whose side are they on? And and I I can't sit here and say it's not that way because that is the way HR is. So I think the trick for a good HR person is somebody who can successfully navigate that. It is by nature, I think, just a difficult department to Mm -hmm. understand. Do you think, I mean, is more of your job taken up with like hiring and firing or is more of it with like the other kind of like disciplinary mm-hmm. sort of like employee mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Like what would you say the ratio is? Yeah. More or less. Well, so I work for a trade association now. So I am a generalist, which means I kind of do across the board all HR work. Um, and we are a pretty small organization. We have about 36 employees. So I deal with anything that's HR related for us. Oh. So, I mean, it is pretty evenly split. Um, Thankfully, we have really great staff, so we haven't had tons of employee issues that I've had to deal with. Um, I would say, you know, probably at least 20% of my job, though, is recruiting because usually it's very rare that we don't have a position open. Like, you know, so I'd say that takes up a big piece of my job. So that's good for you. You want full employment. Right. It's in your best interest. Yes. I mean, I enjoy hiring and I like working on it, but it it definitely is time consuming and it's the like stress of, are we finding the right candidates? Are we going to find the best person? Are they going to be at the price point we want? All that stuff. So that gets into kind of some other questions we got. Um, Like when you're going through resumes, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess when you are hiring, Mm -hmm. I mean, how much time is spent like in a typical day when Mm -hmm. you're like, you have a a couple open spots, Mm -hmm. say, just screening through resumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I've worked at some places where, like, that takes up a lot of time, but other mm-hmm. places where they kind of, they'll get hundreds of resumes, but they really only look at, like, the few yeah. that have, like, a referral from an employee or something like that. But, but Well, so for me, because, again, we have a small shop, so I'll look at all resumes directly. I know okay. that's very different than a large company that has some sort of applicant tracking system where your, your resume is kind of going into a database and... From there, you know, I can't speak to that setup, but I can speak. So for me, like for a typical position, I probably will get about like 80 to 100 resumes. Obviously, that comes in the course of, you know, the weeks that we're hiring. I'd say definitely like the first. For for one position, right? For one position. One position, okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, the majority of the resumes come in in like the first like two to five days after the position is posted. So that is one thing I would say for people. Like, you can't always control when you see a posting, but I think a lot of times being very early on in the process, you're much like more likely to get noticed than later unless they're having a hard time filling and 
So early on. And then I guess like, yeah, I mean, that would kind of make sense to me. Like a smaller or medium-sized company mm-hmm. that you'd work in, um, you know, you're, it's probably going to be seen by the HR person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that's where you have to use other methods. So I think that's where like referrals, you know, so let's say you apply to Booz Allen. Right. You know, who do you know that works at Booz Allen that also can submit your information as referral or even maybe has connections to the hiring manager in the department that you want to work for? I think that's also where LinkedIn is a really useful tool. So even if you submit your resume through the normal channels, Google, or not Google, search on LinkedIn. Sure. um, And find out, okay, who is the hiring manager? Can you find them? Can you email them directly or contact them directly in addition to sending it through the official channels? uh, What's the worst resume you've seen? Oh, that's a good question. Or just a really bad one. I mean, Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I will say I think the caliber of resumes in D.C. is, is fairly good, especially my current job. <clears throat> like in Utah, nothing against Utah, obviously, no, no, but no, I no. mean, we, I was, we were recruiting for a lot more of like sales positions that maybe, you know, the highest level of education was a diploma, high school diploma, or maybe not even that. <clears throat> so I feel like a couple years ago, it was more often that I would see like, I don't know, testimonials on the resume, like somebody who wasn't even applying for a job that had to do with, like, physical fitness, had, like, testimonials of people talking about, like, what a great personal trainer they were or something like that, you know? Or even when people put, like, a lot of, well, you know, the section that's, like, your personal interests. I mean, sometimes that's nice to kind of add a personal dimension to your resume, but in the end, your resume is about your professional experience. So I'm not all, I don't always care that you play tennis. Like, I've seen people put that in, like, at the very end sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you're, it sounds like that's more of a more of a no. For it, me, it yes, and probably that's the thing. It's like yeah. another HR person or another yeah. hiring manager might say, "I love that. I love being able to see kind of the personal side of them." But for me, it's like my purpose is: Do you have the skills and experience that we need to move you on to the next step? Yeah. And you playing tennis doesn't it, it, necessarily yeah. add. But yeah. I also think you know sometimes that's the thing that's like, oh, I play tennis too. Like, oh, sure, let's bring in this candidate. But, like, no, that's not criteria <laughs> for hiring someone. Yeah, I mean, I think if you specifically know the person that might see that is into something, mm-hmm. maybe. But, like, yeah, I, I would agree. It sounds like leaving that stuff out unless mm-hmm. you, you have some specific Yeah, or if you're applying for the Tennis Federation of America, of course, talk up yeah. how you love to play tennis, you're passionate about it, how you played on your high school tennis team. It's a lifelong passion. That is very, I think it's appropriate to bring in your personal interest when it directly links to the organization or the job that you're applying for. So I, I guess from what I'm getting from you also, I mean, on the opposite side, um, you know, some of the best resumes, I mean, they're typically ones that are just focused, you know, mm-hmm. very focused, mm-hmm. only speaking about what is relevant mm-hmm. to the position. Is that, is that yeah, pretty consistent? Yeah, and I think, you... you know, like your resume is kind of your summary. So it has your education, it has different jobs you've had. So it has more of an overview. But right. for me, I'm really big into the cover letter. I feel like a cover letter should oh. always be specific to the job. It should speak so I know. Like that's another common issue where like people will say, I'm so excited to apply for the X position at your job when our position is the Y position. And they just haven't changed out the title or they haven't even changed out the name of the company. You know, or like I get cover letters that like literally I could copy and paste it into Google and find like a template cover letter that they've just copied and pasted. How how many out of like a hundred that you get for a job, like how many are like that about? uh, I would probably say half. Half? Are very 
canned, very, it's, you, it's clear that they're using the same cover letter yeah. again and again, and it doesn't have anything to do and, with and their And they're gone, usually? I mean, you're going to... Usually. Awesome. I mean, if they have a great resume, maybe I'd move them on, but usually, yeah. I, I'm big in, because I think cover letters also show whether someone can write. Right. And so a cover, a good cover letter and a mediocre resume, again, this is my opinion, that would cause me to move somebody forward. A good co- oh, a good cover letter. Mm-hmm. Really? So the cover letter matters a lot. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, because, I mean, in some positions, they kind of use it as, like, an afterthought. It's kind of mm-hmm. like cover letters optional. Um, but that, that's good to know, mm-hmm. I think, for, for everyone out there. Yeah, <laughs> I and I think, good. you know, even if it's, even if you're not putting it into, you know, going back to this idea of doing, like, an online application to an applicant tracking system, if that doesn't, you know, require a cover letter, you can still use a nice cover letter to send to the hiring manager where it's much more, this is the details about me, this is why I'm such a great fit for your company, this is why I'm so interested in working for you, et cetera, et cetera. So we got that. So cover letters matter a lot. And let's talk about, so in your work besides, you know, resumes and all that kind of stuff, you know, what are some of the more fun or, you know, No, that's a good question. Um, So I don't think all HR people do this. Sometimes they say, it's like, again, what people don't know what to expect from me. I'm either like the person throwing the party or like the person about to fire you. (laughs) So again, like, it's a tough job sometimes. But I do enjoy, like, putting together things that become, you know, that give people a chance to interact outside of just work. Um, I think also professional development, kind of along those lines, like I plan a lunch and learn every month for our staff. Yeah, it seems like those lunch and learns, that's pretty common here in Mm -hmm. D.C., a Mm -hmm. lot of different lobbying type Mm -hmm. associations Mm -hmm. do that. So, also, I wanted to talk about salary negotiations. So that's that's a lot of interest to people. Mm -hmm. You know, you apply to a job. You know, you're not quite sure. Because, I mean, often jobs do not specify what the salary is. Right. So sometimes you're kind of just throwing darts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a good question. So I think a couple things. I think, you know, in preparation for getting offered a job as you're doing research, you know, I think it's helpful to probably look up a couple different, like, websites that have different salary ranges. Um, one, I think it's, what is it called? Glassdoor. 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 Which all of that is entered by you know by people themselves so it could be the really low paid people are entering their information it could be the really high paid people there's also like professional um salary surveys that like i have access to as an hr person and i don't know if the lay person can kind of search you know yeah. compensation report dc but you say glass doors is a decent resource i think so yeah again and i probably it. you know in going into this i would probably try and do like three things I would probably try to find something that's like anecdotal like Glassdoor I'd probably find try and find some sort of compensation report and I probably would try and talk to somebody who works in the field either at an equivalent level or at like a supervisory level and just say hey what do you think is reasonable for what I'm asking okay and then get that number before, because um, I mean, obviously they'll ask you, you know, what are your salary mm-hmm. expectations? I mean, mm-hmm. Usually in a phone interview. Yeah. That's yeah, so right. I usually do it when I do an initial phone screening, because again, I kind of want to know, are you in our range before we move you forward? And, and go through the, you know, the interview process. And, and if, they're, if they fall outside the range, I mean, what's kind of like, if they're five, ten thousand outside? I mean, yeah, that's the, well. What do you do? That's interesting, because again, it depends on how many candidates they have. You know, if I have five candidates and three of them are within my range and two aren't, obviously I'm not going to 
probably pursue the two that aren't. But if I only have three candidates and one's within my range and two are outside, that's when it's like, okay. And sometimes companies are wrong, you know, especially for a smaller company like us, you know, it's like the market changes. We maybe haven't hired for this position for three years and suddenly, yeah, we should be paying more because the person down the street is paying, you know, getting paid more and they're trying to come over to us. And what's about the limit of flexibility that you have? Yeah, and I mean, I think it really depends on the organization. I mean, usually, you know, so let's say we offer somebody, let's just say 50000 you know, sure. and they come back. You know, I'd probably come back no more than 5000 in a, so if 55. I offer, right, and then usually we kind of split the difference, so we probably in that situation, if we had money to, you know, give, we probably would say, you know, somewhere between 52 and 53, we'd kind of meet in the middle. Again, like if we already have offered you 50,000 and that's already kind of the top end of our range, we may not negotiate, or if you're on, you know, like if it says three to five years of experience and you only have three years of experience, you have less room to negotiate than the person that has five years that could say, I have this experience, this is what I'm bringing, I know I can, you know, earn my salary back in the first year or whatever. I guess what if, there's also another scenario I think where, you know, maybe you've made it past that first or second interview, um, they like you, mm -hmm. they maybe don't have a lot of other candidates, mm -hmm. you, you're kind of maybe about 20% above what they want, mm -hmm. and that's a little bit above what the position typically mm -hmm. pays, mm -hmm. um, but they really don't have backup options, mm -hmm. but that's just kind of too much money and mm -hmm. out of... I don't know, just, you know, policy or procedure. Mm -hmm. They just don't want to go above because mm -hmm. that'll hurt the, you know, mm -hmm. the system they have in place. Does that ever occur or is that... Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because, like, for example, so let's say, you know, my budget is 50000 and sure. somebody says, sure. well, I want fifty five, but I'm quote-unquote negotiable. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and this is my own personal opinion, I mean, I don't really believe people want to take pay cuts. Like, I find it very hard <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, believe yeah, that yeah. people are going to want to come take this job for, you know, $5,000 less, especially if they're already making right. $55,000. Well, that, that's the scenario most often. They yeah. came from another job, and they maybe got laid off, they left, and they're mm -hmm. like, well, I'm not going to drop, you know, $10,000, $5,000 mm -hmm. to do something different, even if it is a little more interesting or a mm -hmm. better title, if I'm going to lose... Right. right. Yeah. And I so. think because there's kind of two scenarios there. There's the scenario where you're unemployed, so you're using this as sort of my, let's just get a job again while I continue to look for a job that's going to pay me what I want. Right. So I think, you know, for me to really believe this, and, and let's say somebody really though is like, no, this is the field I want to get into. Like, this is my entry way into the new career that I want. You know, I, I'm really willing to take a $5,000 pay cut. I think you need to make that, like, abundantly clear. I think people assume, like, why are you going to want to take a job that pays less money? It's like it's like a setup that we're, like, we're making you unhappy from the start, you know? Right. I, I think that that's a very sensitive topic, I think. I, I just remember when I first got into the working world, um, I remember learning this in business school. Like, all of the main complaints that are registered on the employee database, whatever, for HR complaints, at least that I saw the first couple of companies I worked for, like 90% of them had to do with salaries. You know, people, it seems like that's what people are most, I mean, it affects their life the most, mm -hmm. but any company policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that pretty true with what you've seen? That's You know, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yes, I, you know, and it's so interesting because I think there's certain employees, like you can tell, like it's very much about salary. You know, yeah. they really want to be rewarded financially. There's some people that they really want higher bonuses. There's some people that really want more time off. 
it's interesting because I've been doing a bunch of reading about millennials and yeah. like, which is sort of our generation of this, like, you know, I think it's anyone who was born since 1980 yeah. and supposedly in quotes, salary doesn't matter as much to millennials. They want work that's fulfilling and, yeah. and I'm just work curious. Work-life balance. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that actually plays out in the long run. Cause I think it's one thing again, when you're 23, just graduating to say, yeah, I'll go make X amount of money and work for a company. Again, this is just the way my mind works. But like that was very much on my mind when I graduated. Is like I want something that's going to be lucrative enough that like I'm gonna, you know, like that I'll be able to progress and I'll be able to like buy a car or eventually buy a house or do those or things. Pay off loans. Right. Or exactly. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Touching on the millennial issue, um, I, mean, I do. I, mean, I do see on the social media. I see a lot of articles about mm-hmm. that. How it's kind of a- HR people are having difficulty with mm-hmm. um, adjusting to them, mm-hmm. or just you know businesses in general. Mm-hmm. Not how much of a change are they causing? Yeah. Well, that? so I went to this um, breakfast this week where we talked about millennials, and they said in ten years millennials would be seventy percent of the workforce, which I thought was pretty crazy. Ten, ten years. Yeah. Seventy percent. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like right now, I think they're thirty five percent, so it's essentially going to double, I guess, in the next. Okay. And that's using the broader definition. Like basically everyone like 35 or so yeah. and younger is millennial, yeah. right? So at that yeah. point, it would be like everybody who's 44 and younger. Oh, okay. 44. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I guess, yeah. you know, in 10 years, you know, who knows how many baby boomers at that point will have exited, you know, retired at that point. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting because like I'm a millennial, yeah. you know, you're probably I'm a, a millennial. I'm a millennial too. Yeah. yeah. Millennial. So... You know, in some ways, I don't think that I have, like, the typical, like, millennial, like, attributes of, like, being really entitled or feeling like I want a promotion very often. So, for me, what I've observed, like, in our office, I think a lot of it comes down to personality. But I do think, you know, like, the things like um, being much more aggressive, I think, in asking about what the next step is, you know, when they do an interview and talk about what is my growth pattern here. Like, I probably think with baby boomers and even like generation X, like they wouldn't have asked that. They wouldn't have thought that they would have just, you know, focused on like the job at hand. So I think that definitely is true. They are, they want to know what the next step is and they want the mobility to move up. Right. To show, to show the employer like, Hey, I'm here to stay for a while or I'm interested in progressing with this or. Well, yeah, but, but kind of, I mean, I think it comes off a lot of times in a more selfish way. Like what, how are you going to help me as opposed to the other way around? (laughs) (laughs) I have said that in an interview before, not exactly like that, but you know, I kind of said like, well, I've been in other companies that there's really not much chance to move up. And I said, well, you're a new company. So I assume there is more chance to move up. And they kind of looked down at that moment, I think, where like they kind of <laughs> felt like, you know, we can't promise anything. Right. And, you know, right. but, but I think it is an expectation that people do have, and you need to phrase it right. appropriately. And, but I think, you know what, that's going to, like, I think what I see sort of happening is I still see, like, a lot of sort of, like, judgment of millennials, which I think I fall into as well, where it's like, well, they should understand how the world works. You sure. know, they should sure. understand it's not just you know, a promotion every six months. But the truth of the matter is, if in 10 years there's 70% of the workforce, the workforce is probably going to change. Yeah, and the, yeah. you know, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it's like the culture of how we think the world works now is probably going to be different in 10 years. Well, I think about that a lot, actually. I, I read a couple of books that, you know, talked a lot about the whole, like, working from home mm-hmm, phenomenon. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. where do you see that going? 
Well, that's actually, yeah, so that's another thing. Millennials want flexibility, and they want to be able to, to be free to, like, do their work when they want to do it, but no, they want the structure to know what I have to get done, but they want to be able to work the way they want to work. Right. I mean, I personally am in favor of flexibility, and I'm in favor of it for both men and women, because I think sometimes we hear a lot about, like, working moms, and flexibility is just as important for men and for working dads. Um, so I'm in favor of it. I mean, I think that there's more creative ways that it can be done like something I've thought about for my organization that I don't think will ever happen is like okay well if we're so focused on like making sure we have the FaceTime well let's make Tuesday Wednesday Thursday our FaceTime days in the office and people can telework on Monday and Friday you know I think there but are that is your policy no right that's now. not that's the policy I would implement oh, if I could. <laughs> you know because I just think that there are going to be ways I think people think like once you start letting people telework you're never going to see them again yeah. But I think there's ways that you could say, you know, Mondays are all hands on deck. Come with your, you know, your A game because we're going to bust out so much work in person, you know, because this is our day that we're together. Because I sometimes I think, like, if you see somebody every single day, like, sometimes the important work doesn't get done because there's no urgency to it. Whereas, like, if you only saw them once a week, like, you'd really make the most of that time. Like, I think we could do a whole show just not just talking, discussing that issue. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think Yahoo made a decision last year yeah. that required all of their teleworkers, which was a pretty significant mm-hmm. portion of the workforce, mm-hmm. to return. And I did work in a digital environment. I've also worked in a corporate environment. And now kind of in the lobbying kind of sphere, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's definitely, they're going to be way behind the curve on that. Yeah, and they're not going to... How we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fa- yeah. You need the FaceTime and you got to be into work and stuff. But, I mean, there's sectors of the economy where I think that's going to, you know, it already is. Mm-hmm. You know, big, you, know, you can work remotely. But, yeah, that's something to watch, I think. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there's more opportunities to do that now. Let's walk through, I guess, some of the... One of the darkest sides of your job, I guess. <laughs> Let's walk us through what's it like, what's the process of firing okay. an employee? Yeah. You know, a, a typical scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go through yeah. that. Yeah, let's go back. So I think, you know, there's probably two typical scenarios, and the one I'll just go through quickly. Yeah. And that would be just sort of like an egregious issue. So, you know, one place I worked, you know, somebody, it was a sales environment, somebody had forged sales records. You know, okay. they had gone back, changed the dates in the system, claimed a lead that wasn't originally assigned to them. So in that kind of situation, you know, it's a pretty quick process where you're doing an investigation, trying to figure out what happened. In the end, if you feel that the employee did something that, you know, obviously broke the policy and ethics of the organization, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a pretty, those situations are a pretty quick termination. Pretty quick. Within like a couple days, probably. Usually. And I mean, if it's really egregious is when, you know, they may, you may do a paid suspension and say, you know, like, let's say it's like a sexual harassment situation, you know, it's like, okay, we're not sure what happened, so, you know, we're going to put you on a two-day paid suspension while we do an investigation and at the end, you know, decide where we'd go. if it's affirmative, he did, makes right. it then he's gone. Right. Or he can come back. Right. He or she or yeah, whatever, or whatever, she, whatever yeah. the person is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just, yeah. So, um, and just like the manager has to sign off and you have to sign off? Or yeah, I mean, usually the... there is, you know, you want to get your legal counsel involved yeah. to make sure that everything is clear as far as you've considered all the angles. There's not, there hasn't been discrimination. There haven't been false accusations, you know, because I think there, there is always still that doubt of like, well, is this really what we think it is? Like, is it really as bad as we think it is? Right, you know? and to protect yourself from a, a suit, a right, lawsuit exactly. from the employee, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what's the other scenario? Okay, so you... the other scenario is more of the performance issue. The yeah. more of the kind of longer, drawn out, where, you know, depending on what side you're on, you know, generally what I see, managers are frustrated with the situation with an employee, kind of how they're performing, and, you know, usually try to start by just sort of doing verbal conversations and coaching. I think a problem that we get into a lot is managers think that they've made themselves clear and it's not necessarily clear to employee. So when the manager moves to the next step of like, okay, we're going to do a written warning for you, a lot of times people are like, well, I never heard about this before, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, so, so generally... So you have to have things like really like... Yeah, uh, so I think generally, records. you know, kind of like a good practice is, you know, a manager should kind of verbally have conversations and then maybe even say, this is a verbal warning regarding X issue. Mm -hmm. This is what I need you to do. If it continues on, probably move to a written warning. And usually there's different names of different companies, but, you know, whether it's like a performance improvement plan, but basically it's like, okay, we're putting you on a time frame, you know, time frame of 60 days or 30 days, and these are the markers we need you to meet, and this is the improvement we need you to see. And obviously the purpose of that is, you know, to provide documentation for a company, but also to hopefully have a good faith effort to help someone improve and to make them aware of what they need to do to improve. Yeah. How often is it simply, you know, oh, well, we just have to do that. Just, you know, we want to get rid of this person, but, and we have, we, we just need to like mm -hmm. go through the official process mm -hmm. now and get out. I mean, does yeah. that just kind of, it depends on the manager. I think it depends on the manager because yeah. honestly, what I also see a lot is not necessarily in this job, but in previous jobs, it's like around the same time, like literally sometimes the day when the manager comes down and says, I'm really having a problem with this employee. The employee also shows up in my office and says, guess what? My manager sucks. You know, like, so a lot of times, and that's where it gets very messy from kind of a legal perspective is yeah. when you have an employee saying, well, they're not giving me good instruction or they're never have time for me or, you know, whatever the issue is. You know, a lot of times the employee, I think there's, there is issues on both sides sometimes, but... But anyway, so, you know, to the point where someone has a, a written warning, you know, you get to the point where either, you know, things are improving, we all feel better about the situation, or you're kind of getting to that point where it's like, okay, we want to make the decision to fire somebody. And, you know, usually, again, like, there's a lot of conversations between, you know, usually the manager and me, the manager and whoever their supervisor is, you know, however many levels it has to go up, and then, again, bringing in legal counsel, um... Have you been able to remain objective in yeah, most cases? I mean, I think pretty... so. You know, there's some situations, like I remember like the my first job, like the first person I ever was in a termination of, like I was like the HR assistant. I was like literally the only like HR person available at this time. So I wasn't like personally involved in like how the decision was made in that situation, but it was like I had to be in the room, I had to be the witness, I had to see them out of the building, all that kind of stuff. Um... So I think, yes, you know, I'd say, yes, you remain objective, but I think kind of the unfortunate reality of the workplace is, I mean, a lot of times these things go the way of the employer. It's like the employee, unless they can really prove, you know, I've been discriminated yeah. against or this is very, this is not fair, but, you know, when it's really just based on performance and not based on other factors, it usually... Once the employer's made the decision, there's not a lot an employee can do. How, how once you get to the PIP, um, the personal mm -hmm. yeah, improvement plan. Improvement plan. Um, how, what what percentage would you say ends in termination mm -hmm. once you get to that point? Yeah, I mean, 
I wish I could give like a better percentage. I think for me, I've probably seen like 70% have gone yeah. to a termination. It there. is, yeah. So it's pretty high at yeah. that point. Yeah. And well, it, it, from the employer's or employee's perspective, I mean, do you really want to be staying at a company that right. has all these doubts about right. you? I mean, I can think of or most a job that's ways. not a great fit for your skills. You know. Yeah. What What is the best time to apply for jobs in general? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess is there kind of a seasonal mm-hmm. flux to applying for jobs yeah, throughout that's the year? A, that's a good question. So I think you know, I feel like the times that I've tried to recruit over the like before the holidays is usually kind of like. Either I'm not getting a lot of applications or, like, everything is getting so held up because it's, like, you have Thanksgiving, then you have Christmas. So it's, like, you can't really move somebody effectively through the process then. So I'd say right after the first of the year, I mean, I feel like that's also the time people make the New Year's resolution. Like, I'm going to start a new job. Find a new job, right? That's, like, usually one or two. Yeah. 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 So I think that, and I think probably, like, the fall is another time where, you know, for whatever reason, the summer's over. You know, you kind of regroup and decide... You know, I think a lot of times, like, things can get slowed down in the summer with, like, managers being on vacation or, you know, just general kind of things slowing down the organization, and in the fall, it kind of ramp up again. So, wait, those are good times to apply? Well, so, yeah, so I'd say beginning of the year and then in the fall, to me, are times where, like, we've been, we've been able to move through the process quicker, we have more applicants, things of that nature. And you're kind of, like, in that mode of, like, Mm -hmm. hiring, so Mm -hmm. you're able to, like, Mm -hmm. process people better. Um, interesting. And I guess just as an HR perspective, what's from an, from an HR perspective, cause you did work at, at a staffing agency before, um, what's your opinion of staffing agencies now? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like they're kind of a big help, but they can also be not so helpful. I mean, yeah. Your... Yeah. That, no, that's a good question. I think for somebody who's looking for a full-time job, you know, it can help fill the gap as far as getting placed in temporary assignments or helping them, um, get placed on permanent assignments. Now, are, and are you talking more about, like, st- temporary staffing firms or, like, a headhunter? Te- temporary staffing okay, firms. Okay, temporary yeah. staffing firms. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think they serve a purpose. Um, and I also, you know, like, I think, I don't think they're, I, I guess what I wish sometimes is, like, when we're getting a temp, I just want, like, a really, like, great employee that just wants to work temp for whatever reason, you know, that I could have back again and again. Because one thing we do experience with staffing firms is, like, we'll have somebody who's really great. We ask for them a month later. They're, like, have gotten an, another job. You know, I think uh, in the D.C. area, it's a lot of people who are, like, between jobs. Right, right. So, so you want a temp thing to kind of just come back yeah. every, whenever you need a <laughs> yeah. temp every six months. Right. But I feel like the people, unfortunately, the people that are kind of, like, consistent temps, there's, like, a reason why they're not landing a full-time job. So we also, oh, about head, on headhunters, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you recommend? Yeah, so that? I think, you know, for somebody who's looking for a job, I feel like it cannot hurt to have your name in with several headhunters and to just say, this is the type of work I'm looking for, especially, you know, finding a headhunter who's placing positions that are specific to your field or your industry. As an HR person, I mean, have you found that, like, it's been kind of changed your outlook on people in the mm-hmm. world? I mean, because you're kind of like, you're the gatekeeper. You yeah. allow people in and out, yes. and, you know, you kind of can decide people's yes. fate in a way. I mean, it's allow you to be a little more judgmental about everything well, and, like, a little more... You know, you know, it's it's interesting because, I guess, following up on the conversation we had about firing, like, I think what I would really want people to know and like, my HR pep talk, as I call it, is I just think, you know what, getting fired doesn't mean you're a bad person or a terrible person. Like, no one that I've fired, I've thought to myself, oh, my gosh, like... They should never be in the working world because they just don't have any skills. You know, like to me, and I know people hate this phrase, like, it's not personal, it's business. Because it does feel very personal, you know. But I think 
my biggest, I think one of my biggest takeaways is just like, you know, have faith in yourself and like have faith in what you have to offer in the workplace. Because I think all of us are going to hit bumps in the road. I think people should all expect that they're going to be fired at one point or they're going to be laid off. It's like no one has a perfect career. That's just the way the world is. But I think it's kind of like dating in the sense that like if you get that. rejected, it doesn't mean you're not a wonderful person with a lot to offer. And so for me, that's like the biggest thing is like separating how you feel about yourself as a person from, you know, what my job status is or whether I got fired. And sure, of course, you're going to, if you're fired or laid off, you're going to mourn that. You're going to feel bitterness. You know, you're going to go through all those stages. At least from my perspective, I think it's a little bit less on the getting fired side. I've been, I mean, in my first job, they kind of told us that you know, they only fired, like, I think, like, one person or, like, nobody, basically, mm-hmm. in, like, the previous five years. And I worked there for a few years, and they fired somebody, like, every six months. Or something. There was a lot of firings going <laughs> yeah. on. But um, I have known a lot more people um, that have been disappointed about not getting a job okay. in the first place mm-hmm. on that on that mm-hmm. side. And it seems to be like that, like, kind of, or, or, or they're just not able to get, like, that kind of ideal mm-hmm. kind of job. And maybe that'll just be kind of like the whole millennial generation mm-hmm. of just always trying to get, like, that mm-hmm. perfect job and, like, the grass is always greener. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I think the same principle applies with, like, not getting the job because a lot of times there's so many factors you're not aware of. You know, again, it's the same thing. It's, like, the second and third runner-ups, usually I'm, like, they're amazing. They're awesome. Like, they would be a great hire. But for whatever reason somebody is just a better fit, you know? And again, it's it's so awful because, again, you liken it to dating and it's like, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) But, but like, it's just really the truth. So I think as disappointed as it is, for me, it's like I still have so much respect and, like, would hire these people if the situation was just, like, that tiny bit different. Yeah, I had a friend. He was looking for a job. I think out in California for about two or three years, and uh, like almost every job that he you know progressed with, it was you know you're the second guy, you're the mm-hmm. runner up, and or at least that's what they told him. Mm-hmm. And he said that was just uh, that was just a tough pill mm-hmm. to, to, to swallow. Well, because I think yeah. you know, like our jobs and our employment, like that, I think reflects on how we feel about ourselves and sometimes how we think our status or our worth is. So yeah, it's very hard. I think when you get when you feel like you're knocked down in that area. Uh, and then I guess kind of speaking more to someone who's, you know, in their, along in their career, mm-hmm. you know, they maybe have 5, 10, 15 mm-hmm. years of experience mm-hmm. or so, and um, they're maybe doing something they enjoy mm-hmm. um, and they like and, you know, they get paid all right, but, you know, they're not really sure so much 5, 10 years down the road, mm-hmm. you know, what's their path forward, if they want to change industries or something like mm-hmm. that, what would be your general advice mm-hmm. for that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the whole idea of, like, find a mentor is, like, so cliche. Okay. <laughs> but I do think, you know, again, talking to people that you trust and respect, and one thing okay. I think is so awesome about the church is, like, you have such a huge network of, you know, take just someone like President Davey, our state president. I think sitting down with someone like him and being and asking him for a career advice mm-hmm. would be, like, a phenomenal experience. Like, this area has so many people that have just so much experience and I think so much wisdom to offer so I would say you know talk to people that are further along in their career mm-hmm. and say what do you see my options being because I think a lot of times at least for me it's like I kind of want to like talk about what the possibilities are and then decide okay what's my action plan like what do I think is the best possibility and what would be my action plan well Allison it's been wonderful talking thanks. to you thanks for having me you're a good interviewer <laughs> Thanks a lot, everyone. Talk to you. 
So that's the show. Thanks for listening. If you would like to reach out to Allison and ask her any questions about HR uh, and that sort of thing, she did say that you can email her. Her email address is allisonmckee at gmail.com. So that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-M-C-K-E-E at gmail.com. And she'd be happy to answer any questions you have about this. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.